Thank you, John. He's a lot skinnier in that photo, huh? John used to be part of a gangster. That's why he makes these, like, motions. We've been praying for you, you know? No, but I'm so excited to be here. I just want to thank uh, the CDs, Eunice, and the the Mayus director right here, uh, the crew, and of course, you guys for being here. I'm so excited to spend uh, two days with you guys. It's going to be a short time, but also a powerful time. Yeah? Are you guys excited? So my name is Anna, um, and before I go on, I also want to introduce someone special that's here with us just for tonight. He's my husband, babe. Can you kind of wave your hand over there? Look at that. <laughs> my handsome man of God right there. He's a powerful man. But he's here just for me, so none of y'all go up there and ask him for prayer, okay? So, all right, all right. So the theme for this retreat is freedom to be. Everyone say freedom to be. This beautiful banner right here. Isn't this so great? So creative. It comes from Galatians 5.1 where it says, For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. The message version says this, Christ has set us free to live a free life. So take your stand. Never again let anyone harness a yoke of slavery on you. So tonight and tomorrow, I'm going to be talking about this theme of freedom and what it means to live free, be free. But today, I want to talk to you on the topic of free to be real. Free to be real. Turn to your neighbor and say, you got to be real. Stop being heck of fake. You got to be real. You got to say it cool, you know. I'm real. It's not. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Free to be real. So as we're talking about this theme of freedom from Galatians 5.1, tonight I actually want to talk to you from another story. This is a story of a woman that thought she was living a free life, but actually she was living in slavery. Turn with me to John 4. John 4. And we're going to be reading this passage together so you guys can keep your Bibles open there. But let me start us off with a word of prayer. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for tonight. I thank you for a powerful time of worship. I thank you, Father, that you have given us a life to live a free life. A life not of slavery, a life not as in change to things, but God, to live a life that is completely free in you. So, Lord, we ask for a revelation of what that freedom means, a revelation of your son, Jesus Christ. And I pray, Father, that tonight you will have your way and be glorified. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. So now when I look back at my life and I think of a time of ultimate freedom, a time where I thought, this is my time. This is my life. It's my season. It's, it's the time of, actually, when I went to college, like you guys, right? So I remember, uh, you know, like, like John introduced, we went to a college called James Madison University, JMU for short. And it was two hours away from Northern Virginia, which is where I'm from. And my parents, you know, they drove me to JMU. They unloaded the stuff for me. They, they made sure I was comfortable. And as they were driving away in their blue Toyota minivan, I had this thought, 
And this thought was, I am free. I am free to do whatever I want. I am free. This is my time. This is my place. I am free. I don't have to listen to my mom no more. I don't have to listen to my dad no more. You know, I'm the firstborn out of an Asian family. Asians are heck of straight, guys. I am free. There's no more rules or regulations. And you know, like my, my parents they had a lot of different rules that they wanted me to follow. Uh, but one rule that my mom especially, like she was persistent in, she had this one rule. She would forget everything else. But this one rule she never forgot is you are not allowed to drink Coke in your house. Like that's what she said. She never forgot it. So the only time we were allowed to drink Coke, like the, you know, Coca-Cola, was when we went outside, like at a restaurant, or we were at another person's house. But we were only allowed to drink one cup of Coke. And she, was, she would eye us, like, I would think she's not looking. I'm like, I see you! Put that down, that's your second cup, right? So her rule that she just persistently put on us was, you're not allowed to drink Coke. So my first day of being in college, as a declaration of my freedom, I went out and bought a pack of Coke. And I put it in my little cute dorm refrigerator. And I took that out, and I drank that for breakfast, for lunch, for dinner, for snacks in between. I mean, it was good for a while. And then I started being sick. And then after a while, I was like, mom, take me back. Take me back to your rules and regulations. I'm sorry. Now I know why. Uh, you know, recently my husband and I, we actually got a doctor's checkup. And the first thing she said to us was, you guys are both unhealthy. You are unhealthy. You need to go on a low carb, high fat diet. You need to cut out soda, cut out coffee. And you know, my husband, if you think I'm a Coke lover, he's a Coke lover. He loved, I married the right man, guys. <laughs> All y'all Pepsi fans, get on my face, okay? <laughs> but she said, we need to cut out soda and coffee. So we've been actually doing that for 22 days now. Come on. That's a testimony. It's a testimony. <laughs> we drink water. I have two guys right here. <laughs> water is our best friend. But, I mean, this, this is what I thought freedom was. And in John 4, there's a woman, the Samaritan woman, who thought she was living out her own version of freedom. Read, uh, look along with me in verse 1. It says, Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. Now if you look at the map uh, back in the day, it is much easier to cut through Samaria. But actually, no self-respected Jew would ever cut through Samaria because Samaria was a place where mixed breeds lived. It was a place where it was filled with people whom God did not love, or so the Jews thought. So because of that, they refused to pass through Samaria. Instead, they, were de they determined to go about the long way, suffer a little bit more rather than be associated with the Samaritans. But Jesus, you know, 
Of course, Jesus, he did exactly what was the social norm, right? No, Jesus is unpredictable. He did everything that was against the social norm. He did things that frustrated the disciples. Like, man, can you not talk to that person? Oh, can we just go over here? I mean, Jesus, you could not present him and put him into this neat little box. He just did things that were unpredictable. So, of course, Jesus here, he insists on passing through Samaria. And as they're going there, he sends his disciples to get lunch. And he's sitting by this well. And this woman is there. And they start having this conversation. He's like, hey, can you get me a drink? And she's like, what? What are you talking about? Okay, well, there's this living water that if you take a drink, a, a, a cup from my living water that I give you, you'll never have to be thirsty again. And this woman's like, living water? Man, I'm tired of drawing out water. Can you give me this living water? And as they're in this conversation, and as she's asking him, can you give me this living water? It says in verse 16, look with me he says jesus said to her go call your husband and come here what that's such a weird response it's like can i get this living water and he goes go call your husband and come here that's a weird response the woman answered him i have no husband jesus said to her you are right in saying i have no husband for you have had five husbands and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. And she continues on to talk about uh, the, the theological issue of worship. That's, that's kind of weird, right? As they're in this conversation, Jesus is talking about her husband, and all of a sudden, he brings out her past. It's messy. It's ugly. And in response to that, she's like, no, no, I want to talk about worship. Let's talk about worship. I don't want to talk about my marriages. I don't want to talk about my boyfriend. Let's talk about worship. And Jesus is like, okay. It's funny how a lot of times, Our answer to whenever God pinpoints our issue or our flaws or he brings up something, we try to cover it up by being religious. Instead of wanting to deal with the dirt or the ugly, we start getting logistical. Let's talk about your five failed marriages and your boyfriend you're living with right now. No, let's talk about worship. Let's talk about large group and how we need more worship in large group. Or your familiar leader comes up to you and is like, hey, let's talk about the weekend. I heard what happened over the weekend with your friends. No, let's talk about familia. Let's talk about the Bible, what it says in Romans 6. All of a sudden, we start diverting the topic. And we start getting spiritual. We start getting religious. And why do you do that? Because we're afraid. But I love what Jesus did. Instead of taking and pinpointing the root issue instead of reverting the topic back to his, the conversation back to his topic, instead of grabbing control of the conversation, he decides to go along with her and he decides to meet her where she's at. You want to talk about worship? We can talk about worship. A lot of times we're scared that Jesus will rebuke us or reveal us or expose us. And, you know, there, there is a time for that. But ultimately, Jesus wants to meet you where you're at. Why? Because he loves you. Because he is a person of love. He will meet you where you're at instead of pushing you, dragging you, barging in on you. Because he loves you. 
So Jesus meets this woman where she's at. And as they're talking about worship, look with me in verse 23, it says, But the hour is coming and now is here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Jesus says something very interesting here. I'm just going to read it for you in the message version. Uh, Just listen. It says, it's who you are and the way that you live that count before God. Your worship must engage your spirit in the pursuit of truth. That's the kind of people the father is out looking for. Those who are simply and honestly themselves before him in their worship. God is sheer being itself spirit. Those who worship him must do it out of their very being, their spirits, their true selves in adoration. It's who you are and the way that you live that count before God. You must approach him in in your true selves, honestly, before him. You know, the theme for this retreat is freedom to be. For Christ has set us free. Christ has set us free to live a free life. This is the theme that we're going through. But what does it mean to live a free life? What does it mean to be free? I'm going to read for you a a Webster dictionary of what freedom means. Okay, get this. It says, freedom is the exemption from external control, interference, or regulation. Freedom is the power to determine action without restraint. So this Samaritan woman was living, by this definition, in freedom. She thought she was being real. She thought she was living in true freedom. She thought she was doing what she wanted, living a life in the way that she determined. You know, some scholars say that back then, women were only allowed to remarry three times. But this woman, she had five failed marriages and a boyfriend she was living with right now. I mean, she was free, right? Completely exempt from external control, living in her power without restraint. But where did that leave her? It left her in slavery and in sin. She probably felt a lot of guilt and shame. Now, the scripture doesn't explicitly, clearly uh, state this, getting it out. But if you look at the text here, it says that she was drawing water at high noon. Now, high noon was a time where it was the hottest part of the day. It was so hot that people never went out to draw out water. So this is when she chose to go out and get water, where she she knew she wasn't going to run into people. It was guaranteed that she won't have to talk to people. She carried a lot of guilt and shame. She also probably felt really alone. Why was she the only one drawing out water? If she was truly happy, if she was in a true intimate relationship with her current boyfriend why wasn't her boyfriend doing it for her ever wonder that ladies come on somebody why wasn't her boyfriend out there at the well drawing water for her you know what i mean 
I mean, when my husband and I, we're like, heck, I lovey-dovey with each other. We're, we're so in love. We're like, hey, babe, let me do that for you. No, babe, let me do it. No, babe, I got it. No, babe, I want to serve you. I mean, our hearts are overflowing with love for one another. And as our hearts are loving one another, we begin to serve each other. You know, maybe, maybe back in the ancient days, women had, to, women had to draw the water. I don't know. But you can see later on in the chapter... That after she really encountered God's love, the first thing she did was to go into town and connect with people. It wasn't she went into a temple to meditate about her sins. She didn't go to sleep to to forget about her sins. But the first thing she did was she went to talk to people because she wanted to be in connection, in relationship with people. She was lonely. This Samaritan woman who thought she was living a life completely free from control, completely free from restraint, was actually carrying a lot of guilt, shame, and loneliness. Do you ever feel that way? Do you ever feel like you lived the way that you wanted and thought you had freedom when actually you found yourself miserable? You ever do everything that you wanted to do No one had any rule over you, but actually, you started to feel a lot of guilt and shame. Did you ever party so much, hang out with different types of people, try to find intimacy with everyone except God, but you actually found yourself having this deep ache of loneliness? That's not freedom, guys. It's slavery. Whenever we're feeling condemnation from our actions, that's slavery. And you might say, Pastor Anna, I'm not physically enslaved to anything. No one rules over me physically. But but the thing that I'm talking about right now is actually slavery in your mindset, in your thoughts, in your thinking. Are you chained to your thoughts? Are you stuck in your frustration? Do you feel powerless, hopeless, worthless? Are you in slavery? So if this is not... True freedom. What is true freedom? Galatians 5, the Apostle Paul, he lists out what it means to be in slavery and what it means to live in freedom. And he says that if you are living in slavery in your mind, in your thinking, if you are living in slavery, then it is very clear that you're living in slavery. All of a sudden, you will feel jealous. You will feel anger. You will feel rage, envy. You will start to feel all of these different things because you're actually walking in slavery. Sexual immorality, lust. All these things you begin to feel because you're walking in slavery. These are the works of the flesh. But if you're walking in true freedom, you will begin to experience things in your life that is so sweet. And the scripture calls this, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. When you're actually walking out freedom, living out freedom, you will begin to feel joy, love, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are the fruit of the Holy Spirit. I always wonder though, I wondered how come freedom is never listed as one of the fruit of the Holy Spirit? Ever wonder that? There's love, there's joy, there's peace. Why not freedom? Why isn't freedom listed as one of the fruit of the Holy Spirit? 
Well, it's because Apostle Paul always considered the spirit and freedom to be one. He considered them to be the same thing. That means when he's writing about the Holy Spirit, he's talking about freedom. When he's talking about freedom, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. So when he's listing out the fruit of the Holy Spirit, he's saying, hey, you are free to love. You no longer have to go in your anger. You no longer have to go in your jealousy, but you're actually free to love with a radical type of love that defines everything else in the world because you are free to love. You are free to have peace. No longer will you be stuck in your frustration. No longer will you be stressed and anxious. No longer will you be unable to sleep because you're so tossing and turning over things that are unsure in your life, but you will be free to have peace. That shows that you're walking in freedom. When you're free to be gentle, when you're free to be patient, when you're free to be kind. So I want us to look at John 4, 23 again. And let's read two verses. I'm going to read it for you. But this time, I want you to substitute the word spirit for freedom. So whenever there's the word spirit, just shout out freedom. Okay? So I'll read, and then you shout it out. It says 23, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in Uh, That was weak. I mean, when you believe in freedom, you can't be freedom. You have to shout it out, declare it. Did you ever see Braveheart? He didn't go over to this, you know, the enemy and say, freedom. That's hecka weak. Shout it out, declare it. Okay, I'm going to read it one more time. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is And those who worship him must worship in and truth. God is freedom. God is spirit. God is freedom. After this, after this conversation, as, as Jesus meets her where she's at, and they're talking about this, this topic, random topic about worship, it is after this conversation that the Samaritan woman realizes that Jesus is the Messiah. She goes into town, the very town, the very people that she was trying to avoid, the people that she was trying to hide from. She goes into them and tells them her story. This man, he told me everything I ever did. Can this be Christ? She had a revelation of Christ after he told her everything she ever did. Verse 39 says, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. You see, everyone in town knew of her sins, her flaws. They knew of her issue. So they weren't, they weren't surprised by it. When she was telling them her story, they knew of it. But isn't it funny? A lot of times the very things that we're trying to hide from people... People are well aware of. They know about your anger issue. They know that you're stingy. They know that you're a little short-tempered. They know you get hangry when you don't eat. 
They know of your issues. That's not what they're surprised of. But when the woman who, who received God's love, had a revelation of Christ, became aware of her sins, went around town and began to proclaim her story in humility, rather than hiding it or covering it or denying it, people began to have a revelation of Christ. It was through her being authentic, her being real, that people had a revelation of Christ. We need to be real about ourselves. We need to be authentic about ourselves. As we have the humility and the confidence to share our story, other people will have a revelation of Christ. As we talk about our weaknesses and our issues, other people will have a revelation of Christ. As we are real, authentic, and vulnerable, other people will have a revelation of Christ. This is how we proclaim Christ. And this is how we live in freedom. Just like the Samaritan woman, we need to be bold and humble to share our story. You know, a couple weeks ago, I told you guys that my husband and I, we uh, went to go get a doctor's checkup. And uh, we were in Pusan. My friend, she knew a friend who was a doctor. And my husband had, had thyroid issues in the past, so we decided to go check it up. And when we went to go check it up, I mean, this was a, I mean, we went there for vacation, but I essentially went to Busan to rest because there were so many things going on in my life. Uh, that was a very vulnerable time for me because um, I was experiencing just the death from a friend uh, that passed away unexplainably, um, working through, God, are you good? God, are you, are you here? God, are you still love? Working through these things and feeling the pain and questioning God's goodness, questioning God's goodness, uh, his realness, his nearness, all these things I was questioning. So we went to Busan and we went to rest, but we ended up doing like a doctor's checkup. Now, we went to the hospital just for him. Um, I wasn't going to get any checkups myself, but... Uh, because that woman specializes in thyroid and breast checkup, I decided to do a checkup myself. And as she was doing my checkup, she said, you have hyperactive thyroids. You are chronically stressed, meaning my body is, was in a constant st state of stress that it just completely shut down. Uh, are you tired these days? I'm like, I'm exhausted. I can't wait to get to bed, like all the time. And she's like, you're chronically stressed. You have adrenal fatigue. You have hyperactive thyroids, and you need to get some rest. It's like okay, so she, we finished doing my thyroid checkup, and then she went on to do a breast, my breast checkup, and then, as she was doing it, all of a sudden her tone changed, and she was like, and I found something. I was like, what do you mean you found something? She's like, I found a node, and it's quite big. Um, there's a possibility that it could be cancerous, so we need to do a breast biopsy right now and I was like what I wasn't even supposed to get a checkup what do you mean I have a node that could be possibly cancerous she's like well do you want to do it I was like okay so we ended up doing it um it was a lot of pain but you know we did it and she said results are going to come out in one week so I went home my husband and I went home um Obviously, I was in great shock. And within that week, it was a week where I did a lot of soul searching. 
I felt, I felt low. I felt powerless. I thought I was healthy. I'm young, God. I'm not even 30 yet. What do you mean? I might have cancer. And yeah, those, you know, my health scare and even my friend passing away, those things were hard for me. But I got confronted with my life. And I realized, I'm not happy with my life. Things are hard, God. And there were some certain things I was quite miserable about. And throughout that week, I went back and forth from blaming, blaming God, blaming people, blaming the church, blaming ministry, blaming the urgency of everything going on in my life, blaming, blaming, blaming. And then I realized nothing changed. I'm still upset. I'm still angry. I'm still miserable. Nothing changed. And I had to go before God and say, God, I'm scared. I'm not happy with the life that I'm living. Things are hard. I can't do certain things. I feel stuck. I feel overwhelmed. And slowly I just began to just take out things that were buried in my heart. I'm a campus pastor, guys. And I thought I had to have this image of being strong for people. Being strong on stage. And I buried these things. Pretended like my life was great because God is good, right? And you know what God did? He met me exactly where I was at. The dirt, the ugly, the mess, the things I hated about myself, the things I was ashamed about to admit. He met me where I was at. And as he met me, I began to feel his love. And through this couple weeks, it's been three weeks now, I just, I feel different. It's not to sugarcoat things. It's not to, you know, I'm sure you guys are going through your own set of questions or things that you're working through. But as I was real and honest before God, unpacking different things in my heart, and as he met me where I was at, I began to experience his love again, his kindness again. And he began to know what it means when God's name is comforter, that he comforts you. I began to know what it means when his grace covers over my sins. You know, the Samaritan woman, she had a revelation of Christ As he met her where she was at, she tried to revert the topic, change the conversation so many times, but still Jesus met her where she was at. He didn't push her. He didn't rebuke her. He didn't expose her. He didn't rush her. 
but rather he patiently met her where she was at. And because she experienced his love for her, she had a revelation that Jesus is the Messiah, the coming one, the savior of the world. Because of his love for her, she was free. The revelation of Christ set her free. And there is only true freedom in Christ. I want us to bow our heads.